All right, well, good morning. Good to be with you. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors that, is, uh, that serves here at River City Church. If you are new or visiting, just want to say welcome. It is good to have you. If, if there are any ways that we can serve you or help you get connected to the community here at River City, we would genuinely love to do that. Come find me or Aaron or one of the small group leaders you saw pictured above. They, they, would, love to get you, they would love to just get to know you and help you get connected with the community here. So, so don't be shy. Um, like I said, it's good to be with you. Big thanks to Aaron last week for filling, kind of emergency filling in for me last week. I have had like two brutal weeks of being sick. And so like this week I had a stomach bug. I like realized last night I'm eating some soup at like five o'clock and I was like, I don't think I've eaten since Wednesday. This soup is the greatest food that mankind has ever invented, right? So I'm, I, feel, I feel good, and I'm back, and looking forward to be with you guys. Uh, this year, we are working our way through the Gospel of Matthew, and, and one of the reasons why we just try to, at River City, one of the reasons why we just try to uh, chug our way through books of the Bible is because we really want God's Word to be the thing that informs and kind of transforms our time together. And so when we just kind of chug through God's Word together, that just gets us to, it allows us to let God's Word be the thing that really shapes our time together and really shapes what we talk about, and so that way, you know, I don't have some massive agenda or side project, something I'm trying to get to, but rather we're just trying to see what God's Word has to say and teach from that. And so uh, this year we are working our way through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Last time we were together in Matthew, we were in chapter 11. This week we are jumping ahead to chapter 21. Don't worry, we're not just skipping 10 chapters. Uh, We are going to fast forward a bit in order to kind of fast forward our study to sync it up with Easter a little bit here at the end of Matthew. And then we'll come back right after Easter and finish those 10 chapters. There is some juicy stuff there, so we definitely won't want to miss that. So so come back after Easter if you want to see what's going on in chapters 10 through 20 or something like that. So um, so this morning we are in in Matthew chapter 21. And what's going on here in Matthew chapter 21 is kind of often referred to as what's, what's called Palm Sunday. And what's happening here is this is, uh, begins, this, this passage begins the last week of Jesus' life. And so the Sunday that we're going to read about here is called Palm Sunday. And again, like I said, it begins the last week of Jesus' life. And during this week, Jesus is going to enter Jerusalem. He's going to cleanse the temple. He's going to challenge religious leaders. He's going to institute the Lord's Supper. He's going to be arrested and unjustly tried and crucified and buried. And so in other words, our passage this morning is kind of the beginning of the end. You see, the whole book of Matthew has been leading up to this point this morning. Verse 1 of Matthew opened with these words. He said, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David. You see that word Messiah, it means anointed one in the sense of an anointed king. You see, from the very beginning, Matthew is presenting Jesus as, this, as the long-awaited king, the descendant of King David that God promised in 2 Samuel who would come to establish God's everlasting kingdom. See, but throughout the first 20 chapters of the book of Matthew, it kind of feels like Jesus doesn't really want anybody to know that yet. In fact, every time somebody finds out who he is, maybe he does some healing and, or there's this click point for somebody and they realize who he is, Jesus' instructions are always, don't tell anybody. Just keep it to yourself for a while. Just slow it down, right? It's almost like he doesn't want anybody to know Until we get to the very end of chapter 20, and there's this huge crowd following Jesus, and there's these two blind guys who call it from the side of their road, the end of chapter 20, and they say, say, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. 
And for the first time, Jesus responds. He doesn't, he doesn't tell them to quiet themselves. He doesn't tell them to the way. He doesn't tell them to keep that to themselves. He acknowledges who they have said he is because what's finally come is that it is time for his identity and his purpose to be revealed. You see, once we get to chapter 21, what is clear is that the kind, is that the kind of king is that Jesus is revealing himself. He's asserting himself. He's, he, it's time for him to show himself as the Messiah that Matthew has said that he is. As the promised king who has come from God to save his people from their sins. And so as we study this morning, what we're going to see is that Jesus is publicly proclaiming. He is publicly announcing that he is king. He's the one to which all of history has been waiting for. He is the one to which all of history has been pointing. He is the one for which all of history has been longing. And this morning, what I want to show you is the kind of king that Jesus reveals himself to be. You see, I want, to, I want you to see the majesty and the wonder and even the humility of the kind of king that Jesus reveals himself to be. I want to I show you this, this incredible, life-transforming picture of King Jesus as he reveals himself to be. And in response, what I want to do this morning is I want to call us to surrender to him as king. You see, there are only two responses to Jesus' claim to be Messiah, to his claim to be the king of the universe. There are only two responses. We can either crown him or we can kill him. My hope this morning, my, my prayer this week has been that some of you will crown Jesus as king in your lives for the first time this morning. And that all of us would increasingly live lives of repentant surrender as we see the king who has come. And so in light of that, let's pray and read God's word as we see him as the king revealed this morning. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for you and for your word. Thanks that you would save it for us and keep it for us so that we might know you. God, as we come this morning, we just say, like, we, we don't have what we need on ourselves to, to understand you or, or to, rightly in, to rightly teach or, or respond to your word. Say, we need you, Jesus, to, to fill us with your spirit so that I might have the power to teach rightly and we might have the power to respond rightly to your word. And so, God, we just come in humble dependence on you. And so, God, as we see you, the king, revealed in your word this morning, God, I pray that you would capture our hearts and our attention. God, that you would graciously convict, that you would graciously give clarity. God, that we would be able to choose to respond to you this morning. And so, God, we, we need you to cause all of that to happen. We are dependent on you this morning. And so we trust, God, for our good and for your glory that you will. We pray these things in your good name. Amen. This morning we're in Matthew chapter 21. And as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he'll send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was, pro- what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and they did as Jesus had instructed them and they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. 
And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and while others cut branches from trees, and they spread them out on the road, and the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed, they shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, Blessed is Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, and they asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And Jesus, he entered the temple courts and he drove out all who were buying and selling there and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that he that he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him? Yes, Jesus replied. Have you ever read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? And he left them, and he went out to the city of Bethany where he had spent the night. You see, as we study Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem this morning, what we're going to see is that Jesus is clearly and emphatically announcing his kingly identity. And what happens is that Jesus orchestrates everything about this arrival into Jerusalem this morning. He is in absolute control. He arranges everything because he's not just trying to tell people that he is king. He's trying to tell them the kind of king that he is because the truth is, is that what Jesus knows is, is that the king that the people wanted and that they expected, he was not going to be, but that he was, in fact, the king they actually needed. And so in looking at the intentional entrance that Jesus orchestrates, we get a picture of the true king that Jesus is proclaiming himself to be and how we're called to respond to that proclamation. And so the question we begin with is, what kind of king is Jesus revealing himself to be? And the first thing that we see is that Jesus is showing that he is the promised king. In verses 9 and 15, we see Jesus accepting the crowd from the crowd, this title that they give him. They're they're calling out and they say, son of David. And Jesus receives that title and the praise that goes with it. You, You remember that that's the messianic title that Matthew opened his whole gospel with. This is the gospel of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David. You see, the people are heralding him as the son of David, the promised Messiah. And in in laying down their cloaks and in laying down these palm branches, what they're doing is they're they're giving Jesus the royal treatment. Just that they had had happened in 2 Kings to King Jehu. But unlike every other time when people try to tell, try to announce that Jesus the Messiah, Jesus always, always stops them, but this time he does nothing. He receives their praise. He receives the identity that they say of him. In fact, in verse 16, when the chief priests and the teachers of the law try to get Jesus to stop the children from from praising him as the Messiah, as, as Hosanna the Messiah, Jesus not only doesn't stop them, he takes it a step further and he says that their words, their words are fulfillment of prophecy in the Psalms that says, from the lips of infants, God will call forth his praise. Jesus is saying, I'm not only letting them say that I'm Messiah, I'm telling you that I am. You see, Jesus knows what the people are saying about him. He knows what they, who they think he is, and he wants them to know. 
He's orchestrated everything so that there would be no doubt. If we look at verses 1 through 8, we see that Jesus' odd request of his disciples to go steal some donkeys for him or borrow temporarily. It's the fulfillment of a messianic prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9 that says, Say to daughter Zion, that's Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, gentle, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, 500 years before his birth, the prophet Zechariah spoke about how the Messiah would come. And in perfect, particular detail, Jesus fulfills what was spoken about him as only he could. You see, he is the Messiah he is uh, the king that God had promised would come to usher in his kingdom. But in riding into Jerusalem on an unbroken donkey, Jesus isn't just telling us that he's the promised king. He's telling us as well that he is a king of peace. You see, you'd think that a king or, or a prince, they would come riding into town on a grand white horse, kind of like Gandalf does when he comes to rescue everybody in the Twin Towers. You know, he's like, out of nowhere, he just comes in on this epic horse riding in. You're like, you got to get me one of those horses, right? Uh, no, Jesus comes riding in on a donkey. You see, the, the message that Jesus was trying to communicate was not that he was this victorious conquering king, but that he was a king of peace. You see, a donkey it represented peace, and anyone who was riding on a donkey, they represented peaceful intentions. And although this should have been really obvious to the, to the crowds, it seems as in their excitement, they, they kind of missed this. You see, what the Israelites were desperately hoping for was, was a Messiah who would come to, to destroy and overthrow the Roman government, and who, who, had, who had conquered and oppressed them, but that's not what Jesus came to do. You see, Jesus had not come to conquer Rome and to establish an earthly kingdom. He had come to conquer Satan and sin and death and to establish a heavenly kingdom. You see, Jesus had not come to start a war. Jesus had come to finish one. As Colossians 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 20 says, By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You see, the good news of the gospel is not that Jesus has come to wage war, but that Jesus has come to make peace. He's come to make peace with those who have made themselves his enemies. That's the kind of king that Jesus is. You see, the crowds thought that Jesus had come to put their situations right, had come to put their situations right. But Jesus had really come to put them right. You see, and that leads us to the third thing that we see about King Jesus this morning. He's the promised king, he's the king of peace, and he is the savior king. You see, Jesus rides into town and the crowds are shouting in verse 9, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. That word Hosanna, it means God save us. It, it simultaneously is a cry for help and, and this joyous proclamation that the help that you are longing for has come. See, and in shouting Hosanna, the crowds were proclaiming that Jesus was the Messiah, the promised king, who had come to save them. But sadly, they missed the thing they needed saving from. As one commentator writes, he says, the crowds were looking for a Messiah that was going to rescue them politically and free them nationally, but Jesus had come to save them spiritually. You see, mankind's primary need is, is not political or cultural or national salvation. It is spiritual salvation. 
You see, what we all need saving from is the consequences of our sin. You see, from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is clear that the wages of sin is death. And that might seem extreme until we realize what sin really is. You see, sin is not just a mistake. It is not just a bad decision. Sin is not just some errors, some some bad choices. You see, sin is the choice to reject God and his good authority. It's, It's instead of God telling us what is true and right and good, we want to decide what is true and right and good. We want to decide what is best for us and for this world. You see, the truth is, is that the root, all of us want to be God. We want to be the one in which decisions fall and lay. It's a choice that every one of us has has made, and the truth is, is that at its root, sin is not just bad behavior or mistake. Sin is mutinous rebellion. Sin is the choice to say to the God of the universe, I reject your good rule and authority, and I enthrone myself. You see, that is what we need saving from. You see, the good news that the crowds who hailed Jesus as Hosanna on, on this Sunday, yet called for his crucifixion on Friday, the good news that they missed is the message that Matthew told us about back in chapter 21, the message of the angel that came to speak to Mary and to Joseph that said Jesus would be his name, and his name would be Jesus because he has come to save his people from their sins. You see, this is the gospel and we were lost and dead in sin. We weren't just people who had made mistakes. We were mutinous rebels. You see, we need God to come and to save us, not from our situations or from our troubles, but to save us from the true problem of Satan and sin and death. You see, and Jesus has come this morning, and what he is announcing and heralding is that he is the king who has come to save his people from their sins. But the good news of Jesus' kingly proclamation doesn't stop here because it is not only that Jesus is the Savior King, he is the Savior King of all people. In verses 12 through 14, we see Jesus pursuing the foreigner and the outcast. In verses 12 and 13, Jesus is going all Chuck Norris on the tables in the, in the, in the temple. And he's, he's saying, my house is going to be a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. You see, a lot of times what people think is that this is just about kind of people extorting money out of this situation that was going on. And it's likely that that was happening. But the bigger issue at hand is not about what was going on, but about where it was happening. You see, all of this would have been happening, the money changers and the dove sellers, it would have been happening in the outermost court of the, of the temple, known as the court of the Gentiles. It was a part of the temple, the only part of the temple in which everyone was welcome. And the purpose of the court of the Gentiles in the temple was to give outsiders an opportunity to enter the temple and to learn about God, to hear about him, to hear about the God of Israel. And so what Jesus is so upset about is that the presence of this kind of religious market, it's turning away many of these sensitive Gentiles who from hearing about God, one commentator writes it this way, he says, the court of the Gentiles was being used for mercenary business not missionary business. You see, sin was not just a problem that the Israelites needed saving from. It was a problem that everyone needs saving from. And the people who needed to hear about God the most were being kept from doing that. And there is nothing that angered Jesus more. 
And so in turning over the tables and the money changers of the, the money changers and the dove sellers, Jesus, what he's doing is he is making room. He is making space for people of all nations to come and hear the good news about who he is and the God of Israel. In verse 14, we see Jesus healing people who were blind and who were lame. Both of those were maladies that would have made people ceremonially unclean and kept them from entering the temple. And so by healing them, Jesus is removing any barrier that is keeping them from from being being in the presence of God and being with his people. You see, what Jesus is doing is he's showing that he's not just the king who has come to save, he's the king who has come to save all people. Not only are there people, not only are people from every, uh, every nation welcome, Jesus pursues people from every tribe and tongue and nation to be citizens of his kingdom. And he pursues the outcast and he pursues the foreigner and he pursues those who are weak and those who are broken and those who cannot help themselves. You see, Jesus is not just the savior king of the wealthy. He is not just the savior king of those who can help themselves. Jesus is the savior king of all. See, the gospel is wildly exclusive. Jesus, in no uncertain terms, says, I am king. There is none other. I am the way, the truth, the life. It's me or nothing. But the gospel is also wildly inclusive because it is open to everyone from every nation, in every tribe, in every tongue, in every situation in life. See, Jesus has come this morning and in no uncertain terms he has said that he is the promised king. The one to which all of history has been longing and pointing for. He is the king of peace who had come to make peace between men and God. He is the savior king who has come to rescue his people and he is the king of all who has come to rescue all people. You see, Jesus is saying that he is God. And so the question this morning is, how will we respond to him? It's the same question that was posed to the crowds that morning and the religious leaders who would respond to him that week. As Tim Keller notes, there are only two ways that we can respond. We may either crown him or kill him. There is no middle way. You see, there are only two responses to Jesus' kingly claim. We may either crown him or kill him. There is no middle way. To crown him is to to lay down our lives at his feet as the crowd laid down the palm branches to say, Jesus, you are the only one who can save us. I cannot do it myself. I need you. And to throw ourselves at the foot of the cross where we see his gracious mercy made known to us and to write him a blank check with our lives to say, Jesus, you are king and I will surrender everything to you. You can have every part of my life, every corner, all my decisions, everything, Jesus, you may have authority over. Jesus, you are not king in vague and general ways. Jesus, you are the king in all ways. Whatever you say goes. See, that's what it means to surrender to Jesus as king. Well, like the religious leaders and the crowds on Friday, we can reject Jesus and kill him. We can reject his good kingly rule and reign in favor of our own. And I just, I need you to hear this this morning. When we tell Jesus, you can have some of my life, but not all, that is rejection. To tell Jesus, you may have some, but not all, is to reject him. Because the authority that he claims is absolute. He says, I am the king of all things. 
I will have absolute allegiance or none. You see, when we say, Jesus, you can have Sunday, but you cannot have every day. When we say, Jesus, you can have my morals, but you can't have my money or my career or my sexuality or my relationships. What we're doing is we're rejecting Jesus. You see, Jesus is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. You see, we must either crown him or kill him. There is no middle option. See, to accept Jesus' claim but to not live in light of his kingly rule and authority is to reject who he has claimed to be. You see, Jesus' claim is to be the king of the universe. He will not be liked. He will not be admired. He will not just be respected. He will either be worshipped or rejected. You see, Jesus has made a claim in which there are only two ways to respond. We aim either crown him or we will kill him, and we must choose. Because what is true is that Jesus is not just the king who has come. You see, Jesus is the king who has promised he is coming again. In Matthew 21, we saw him riding in humbly on a donkey as the king of peace come to rescue sinners. But in the book of Revelation, we see a king who is coming in an altogether different way. Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16, it reads this way. John, speaking of Jesus, he says here, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like a blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself, and he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. His name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen and white and clean. And coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, for he will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. God Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has the name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You see, King Jesus came the first time humbly on a donkey on a peaceful rescue mission. But he is coming a second time and it will be different on that day. You see, on that day, Jesus is not coming to rescue sinners. He has already done that. If we have not given him your allegiance on that day, it will be too late. You see, Jesus is not coming gently on that day. He is coming powerfully on that day. You see, Jesus is not coming to be crucified as king on that day. He is coming to be enthroned and crowned as king on that day. You see, Jesus is not coming to rescue on that day. He is coming to rule. You see, the people of Jesus' day, they missed him. And they chose to kill him, to reject him instead of crowning. And in Luke 19, we see that Jesus, before he even enters the city, he knows how they will respond. In Luke 19, it says that Jesus, knowing how they respond, he wept over the city. Jesus weeps over the city of Jerusalem because he knows that the next day he's going to walk in and they will receive him with joy, but they will reject him on Friday. 
He weeps over those who have missed him. And this week, as I have prepped and as I have prayed, I have wept over some of you as well. Because the truth is, is that not all of us have crowned Jesus as king. Some of you have been around religion and spirituality your whole lives. Maybe you've grown up in church. Maybe you have admired Jesus. Maybe you have respected his ideology. Maybe maybe you have admired what he calls us to, but you have not surrendered to him. And the truth is, is that when Jesus returns, if that were me today, it would not be good news for you. And so I am pleading with you this morning. Jesus is not looking for fans. He is not looking for groupies. He is looking for citizens who have surrendered to his kingly rule and reign. Don't just admire Jesus. Don't just respect him. Don't just be amazed by him. The call that Jesus offers is the one to crown him. See, the call to crown Jesus as king is not a, it's not a call to clean yourself up so that he can be your king. It's not a call to be worthy of his kingly rule. You will never accomplish either of those things. Instead, it is simply a call to surrender. To say, Jesus, I cannot live the life that you call me to on my own. Jesus, I cannot save myself on my own, but you can Hosanna, God, save me. See, and the joy of the gospel is that that is the very thing that Jesus has come to do. That's what we remember every week when we celebrate communion. The bread and the drink, they remind us of Jesus' body and of, of his blood which were broken and shed for us as he lived the life that we should have lived and as he died the death that we should have died in our place for our sins, paying the penalty our sins deserve so that we might be forgiven and accepted, that we might have peace with God. What we're doing every week when we take communion is we are proclaiming the gospel. We are reminding ourselves about who God is and and who we are because of all that he has done. Communion, it, it doesn't make you right with God. It does not change your status or your standing with him in any way. Instead, it's a chance for those of us who have put our hope and our trust and who have surrendered to Jesus as king to remember all that he has done. So this morning, if you have trusted Jesus and believed the gospel, then during our time of worship, go back and take communion. Do it in, as, as a joyful response, remembering that the king of all has come to rescue you. There are two tables in the back, one on the left and one on the right. And during our time of musical worship, you can go back and you just dip the juice in the, dip the bread in the juice. And that's how you take communion here at River City. There, no one will dismiss you. You just go as you feel led. You don't need to be a member here. You just need to belong to Jesus. You see, communion is about remembering. It's about remembering the life that there is in surrendering to Jesus and all that he has done for us on our behalf. So as we close this morning in worship and in communion, I'd encourage you to talk with God. Just ask him, for those of you who are here this morning and you have not surrendered your life to him, you've been around church, you have, you have admired Jesus, you have respected him, you think he has good ideas, but you have never said, Jesus, you are king, I give you everything. To 
This morning, I just encourage you, talk with God. What is keeping you from surrendering to him? What we've seen throughout the book of Matthew over and over and over again is that King Jesus is good. Is that when his kingly rule and reign are brought to bear, there is life and there is blessing and there is joy and there is hope. He has what you are longing for. For those of us who have surrendered to Jesus as king, What area of your life might Jesus be asking you to surrender to his lordship today? See, the the truth about the gospel is that Jesus requires us to write him a blank check with our lives, to say, Jesus, you may have everything, but what happens is day by day, Jesus takes ownership of what we have given him, little thing by little thing, one thing at a time. What is Jesus asking you to lay down to surrender to him this morning? Is it your money? Is it your career? Is it your relationships or your sexuality? Is it your time? Is it your dreams? Is it your goals? Is it the things that you long for most in this life? What is he asking you to lay down for him? We see Jesus is worthy of everything you can give him. And I guarantee you he has life and blessings that abound exponentially more than any sacrifice you could make. But beyond the reward, what is true and what must motivate our decision alone is that Jesus is the king who has come. He has said he is the king of all. He's the promised king. He is the king of peace. He is the king who has come to save. He is the king of all, and he is the king with all authority. He's the king who has come, and he is the king who is coming again. So let us live in light of both of those days for our good, but more than anything, for his glory. Let's pray. King Jesus, we come to you this morning. God, and we want to acknowledge that you are king. God, you are the promised king who we have longed for. You are the savior king who we needed. You are the king of peace who has come so that we might have life with you. You are the king of all people. So Jesus, we ask this morning that we would be characterized as a people who have come not just to see you, to hear your announcement as king, but to respond to it. Jesus, I pray that For those who are here this morning who haven't yet surrendered to you as king, who have not given you full authority in their lives, God, I pray that this morning they would choose to do that. God, for those of us who have surrendered to you as king, God, we just acknowledge that that, that giving you lordship, that allowing you to actually rule and reign in our lives is hard sometimes. And we say, Jesus, you are worthy of it, but we need your help. God, thank you that you are the king who has come to save. God, we, we... We come expressing a need and a dependence on you, God, and a grateful joy that you have come. I pray these things in your good name. Amen.